Well, good morning to you again. Last week on Father's Day, we explored the promise of God to Abraham, who at the age of 75 and no children was told that he would be the father of many nations. And we kind of looked at a 10,000 foot view at all the times that he had been given that promise. And then we saw how at 85, he and his wife thought, we better do something. And so he took Hagar to be his wife. She conceived, but that wasn't the answer. God said that the covenant he is forming is not with Ishmael, but a son born to Abram and Sarai. And then after 25 years, at 99 for Abraham and 90 for Sarah, they finally have a child. And we explored how faith can be nurtured and how it can grow through action. We looked at how even action in the dark can help us grow in our faith. We saw that being faithful in little things can equal being faithful in big things. And we found that we put our faith not in faith, we put our faith in God. All right. This is the summer of smorgasbord, as Chris has so ably put. My name is Dan Olson. I'm one of the elders here at Cedar Home. And last week we were kind of looking at a bigger picture of Genesis. This week we're going to look at Genesis chapter 22, specifically, verses 1 to 14. So before I read it, I want to tell you that I'm a little bit afraid of this topic because there are so many ways to get it wrong. But I think that God has something for us that we need to see. So let's read Genesis 22, 1 through 14. Do you want me to read it from the screen because I have a new American standard and it won't be exactly the same, so I think I'll do that. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. 
And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go and offer him there as a burnt offering. You remember how last week we observed that Abraham heard the voice of God and that I said that it would be an important thing? This is an important thing. He would have to know that the voice he had heard was the voice of God and that he must be obeyed. But now that voice has commanded him to do something impossible for him to understand. He can quickly grasp how this is a test because how could Isaac be the one through whom his descendants would be named if he's dead? It's not possible. And yet God had said, go and sacrifice him. What do you do? Do you pretend, oh, no, that wasn't God's voice. I think, I think that was just a, a, a will of the wisp in my mind. It was just a crazy idea. I'm going to dismiss it. But all those other times he had heard that voice, he knew it was God. He couldn't dismiss it. For us, this request flies in the face of our understanding of God. Human sacrifice Child sacrifice? Never. So a stunned Abraham must have been in shock, wondering if he'd heard correctly, wondering if he could go through with it. God's promise was, my covenant I will establish with Isaac. So even if 
even if by some incredible, even more incredible miracle, he could have a child at whatever age he is now, it still wouldn't be Isaac. What a conundrum. The next thing we read in the passage is it says that Abram rose early in the morning. Could you have slept? I think I would have tossed and turned and tossed and turned some more and got up and played cards on the computer for a while and then tried to go back to bed and then tried to figure out what is going on? How can I do this? How can I not do this? What should I do? Then we see that he takes very deliberate actions. He saddles the donkey. I think that was probably the best saddled donkey that had ever existed, right? He took his sweet time making sure he got every buckle exactly right. And then he decided it was time to cut some wood. Now, I don't know if Abraham cut the wood himself or if he had his young men do it, but maybe that physical release of physical activity helped him to deal with some of the emotions that are fighting inside of him. They're carrying live coals with them so that they can do the burnt offering. They had to have brought food and water as well. So all of these preparations took some time. But no matter how much time, he still had to leave. And so it says they set out and began the journey. On that walk, the turmoil continues. The anguish inside him must be building. I know it would for me. Every step is a torment. Every prayer seems flung back in his face. Every time he looks at his boy, his smile, his talk, the way he interacts with the other young men, his soft breathing at night while he sleeps would be torture. On the third day, Abraham raises his eyes and he sees the place from a distance. Remember, it's a mountain that he's going to. And now, he directs the young man to stay. He takes the wood from the donkey and loads it on his son. He takes the, the fire in a fire pan of some kind, coals. And the passage puts it tenderly, so the two of them walked on together. How old do you think Isaac is, by the way? This is one of those times where we are not told exactly how old Abraham is. Almost every time there's a marker of his age. This one, the last thing it says about uh, time is that many days had passed. So we don't know exactly how old Isaac is. Now certainly, he's not a toddler. That, that has already happened in the story. He, he is weaned, which is sometimes around the age of two. And so between two and where we are now is where he is. Now he's big enough to carry a load of, of wood, of firewood, so he's definitely not a little child. But he's not a full-grown man either. So most 
of the commentaries I looked at put him between ages of 10 and 12. It's a guess. We don't really know. He's old enough to make a three-day journey with, with the other men. He's big enough to carry the wood. And he's old enough to begin to spot an obvious problem. My father, he calls out, here I am, my son. It's likely that Abraham has been dreading this moment. He knows it's going to be asked. And he probably had time to think about what he would say. Now, that's up to you to decide from the context. It's possible that he didn't have time to think about it. I think he did. The boy asks the obvious question. So here's the wood, and there's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And there it is, out in the open. The obvious and telling problem, where is the sacrifice? The words that Abraham speaks reflect this hope in his heart. And they are incredible words of faith and an understanding of the nature of God because he says, God will provide for himself the lamb. That takes your breath away. As he's walking to the place where he's going to sacrifice his son, he still says, God will provide for himself. Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us that Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. It's clear Abraham had made his decision. He was going to obey God and then trust that God would bring Isaac back from the dead because it was through Isaac that the promise was going to be fulfilled. That was the only place he could go. But he was committed to it. This wasn't wishy-washy faith. This wasn't play-up, dress-up faith. This was in the trenches, believing even when it hurts. And you remember that definition that Hebrews gives of faith? the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He couldn't understand why God asked this of him, but he could have faith that there would be a way out. So when he replies, God will provide for himself the lamb, it was a prophetic statement. Do you know where they are? Do you know where they are standing at this very moment? Are you familiar with a city called Jerusalem? Are you familiar with a place called the Temple? Have you seen pictures of the mosque Dome of the Rock built on the Temple site? Tradition holds that that is the location where Abram and Isaac went through this experience. In the very city that Jesus laid down his life for us. Hebrews also says that Abraham received Isaac back as a type. The word in Greek that is translated type is parabole, from which we get our word parable. So a type 
is a symbol or a story that has deeper meaning than just the face value of it. Jesus spoke in parables because they were entertaining stories for his, his audience, but they also contained kernels of truth embedded in the action that he could use and apply to the lives of the people that were listening. So here, not knowing that on or very near the spot that he was standing, Abraham was enacting what God had planned from the very beginning, that God would provide for himself a lamb. Now, Abraham knew none of this. He was still faced with the problem. So he builds an altar. He takes the wood. He arranges it. And then the awful moment. He binds his son and lays him on the altar. Now imagine with me, if you will, an at least 110-year-old man trying to bind a 10-year-old and put him on an altar, especially if the 10-year-old is not sure what's going on but pretty sure he doesn't want to be part of it. How many of you had moms that called your three names when you were in trouble? <laughs> Danny, Laddard, Olson? Yes, mother? I don't know if he uh, called his name like that or not. What's interesting is that in the Jewish tradition, Isaac submitted willingly to being bound and put on the altar. All we know is that the text says he bound his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, took the knife, raised his hand, and was ready to strike. And at that moment is when the voice called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham chokes out the words, here am I. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Interesting that God calls him a lad. Lad is a diminutive form of child. It's a term of endearment. God loved Isaac. And he says, do nothing to him. Take a moment to put yourself in Isaac's sandals now that you've been cut loose. What kind of view do you have of your father now? Imagine having a 110-year-old dad in the first place. But now a dad who was willing to do what he did. Then God says, For now I know that you fear God, that since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I want you to notice how many times in this passage the phrase, your only son, is used. It's in verse 2, in verse 12, and it's also in 16, although we didn't read beyond verse 14. Was Isaac Abraham's only son? No. Yet not long from them, in God's eyes, he would be sacrificing his only son 
for the sins of the world in the very same place. And that is what the ram caught in the thorn, caught in the thicket by its horns, represents. And it is why when John the Baptist lays eyes on Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Lambs are cute. He's not saying, look at this cute man. He is tying into Hebrew history to this very moment, and he's saying, look at the Lamb God has provided. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, is what we sing. And it is through his blood and his willing sacrifice that we are his body. We are the church restored to a right relationship with him through Christ. That is our greatest praise. That is our timeless response in worship to him. The Lamb of God, whoever lives to make intercession for us, prepared a place for us to be with him forever. Hallelujah. So I've tried to think of an application of this passage for us today. First of all, God will never ask us to do this. It's already been done in Christ. He is the sacrifice, and it never needs to be made again. It says it right there in Hebrews. Once and for all, it's done. Never again does a sacrifice need to be made. We will never be asked to do this. What struck me in this passage was the response of Abraham to this horrible request. He told no one. He didn't tell Sarah. Can you imagine her response if somehow he had blurted out, oh, guess what I'm doing tomorrow? (laughs) All you mama bears in this audience, you know what you would do, right? You go sacrifice yourself. You're not taking my kid. So he couldn't tell her. He didn't tell Isaac. Isaac had to ask, so where's the sacrifice? I I don't get what's going on here. And besides, if he had said something to Isaac, what do you think Isaac would have done? Hey, Mom, guess what Dad's planning? So he couldn't tell him. He couldn't tell the young men. In fact, he told them, we will worship and return to you. Perhaps he hoped in his heart of hearts that this would never happen and he wouldn't have to say a word to anybody. So it's clear that he felt he had to hide what God had asked him to do. And this is the thing I want to look at for us today. It's difficult for me to discuss this, but it's true. Is it your experience that there are some things that have happened in your life that you must never tell somebody else? If you have lived you probably have an experience or two like that. Is it wrong not to tell people about those things? 
No. It's part of who we are to have things that we have to keep to ourselves. How comfortable are you if you're in a room with somebody who blurts out to you absolutely every horrid thing that they've experienced in their lives? Your feeling is, yeah, okay, I gotta get out of here. So keeping those things secret is not wrong, but it's real. Right now in our room that we're sitting in, there are secrets that we are desperate to keep and don't want anyone to ever know. And it's a burden, but it can also be a curse because you see there's a principle that happens here and that principle is what you fear controls you. Anytime the conversation starts to get close to that sacred thing, you make an effort to steer it away. Kind of like that kill deer that you see out in the field, flapping a wing, oh, come and get me, come and get me, don't pay attention to the, to the nest. You learn to put on a mask. Hide. Hide that pain. And before you know it, you can't get the mask off. Instead of joy, you have sorrow. Instead of peace, you have turmoil. Instead of life, you have a hollow shell. My advice to you today is be very careful. A life of hiding and concealing may soon leak into every corner of who you are, and you will soon become someone you never intended to be. And then, when you mix religion into it, religion, in my view, is doing and saying things to try and look good to God and others. We're not practicing religion here. We're practicing a relationship with Christ where our sins have been forgiven and we can be free from those sins and from that death. And that's the delight in knowing Christ. He sets us free from all of those horrors. Now that doesn't mean we come and spill them all out in front of each other because we have a need to keep that to, to ourselves. But remember, he already knows everything about you. You can't keep secrets from God. You can keep secrets from me, but you can't hide from God. He already knows everything about you. And all he's waiting for you to do is come walking to him. Come running to him. Come flying to him. I advise you today to run to Jesus and live.